Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hey everyone, before we get started with this week's episode of the Sign Off of Frameworth podcast, I wanted to give a quick note. We're going to be working on a somewhat changed schedule for the next few weeks at least, likely to bring us through to the summer, where we're going to be highlighting some of our past episodes. Uh, earlier on, when we were just getting things started, we brought in a lot of very special guests to interview, people who had a ton of insight into the industry. So I think that there were a couple episodes that kind of got looked past before we sort of built up the following that we have today. I think there may be a lot of you out there who have haven't heard some of the better episodes from the first few months of this podcast's existence. So we wanted to highlight those and bring them back to the forefront starting this week with one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded, a man who I was incredibly excited to have on the podcast named Gus Bedali. Uh, you may know him as the man who is credited with essentially having discovered Wayne Gretzky and working with him for a huge part of his especially early career, but what he's not quite as well known for to the general public is the incredible influence that he had in bringing younger players representation among not only the NHL, but the WHA, leveraging some of the talents uh, in a league that sure would eventually fold, but really showed the NHL that they had to show a lot more respect and treat the younger players coming into the league and into the world of hockey uh, much better. So this episode is way back from August 26th, 2021, and it was actually a two-part interview. We split it up from one week to another. Episodes 23 and 24 of this podcast, so we would only been doing this for a few months. Part two of the interview is actually when we get into more of what Gus's relationship was like with Wayne and the Gretzkys in general. Uh, but this one is more about his early introductions. Some of the players he worked with at first, he just had so much information and such an ability to answer these questions in such an interesting way that we figured we'd had to stretch out the interview across two episodes, and you'll find out why when you listen. By the end of it, we haven't even touched on Wayne Gretzky, and that's clearly an enormous part of his career and his legacy, but there's so much more to it. Enjoy this episode, and look for some of these more re-released episodes as, as we continue on through the summer. We will be getting back to some regular new episodes as we go, but we're just going to be spacing them a couple weeks apart uh, to give people a chance to revisit some of the older episodes. So thanks once again to everyone who listens, and we will see you guys on the other side as we sit down with Gus Bedali. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth signing on to the Sign Off Framework podcast for yet another week. Uh, this episode is one I've been very excited for. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, episodes in the past that were more about, you know, some of the friends of athletes and, and, and some comedic personalities in the industry. We've had a lot of players on as well. Uh, but our main goal when we started this podcast was to talk a lot about the ins and outs of the world of sports marketing, sports memorabilia, essentially everything that happens in the world of sports that has nothing to do with the actual game that's being played on the ice, or at least somewhat removed from it. Um, this this week, we have a, a guest on, and I'm joined, as always, by Brian Aaron with President of Frameworth Sports Marketing, obviously. Uh, we're, we're joined by uh, a very special person. He's a visionary trailblazer in the realm of sports agency, and a man who helped ambassador the likes of Wayne Gretzky, Paul Coffey, Steve Eiserman, and Mario Lemieux to the world of hockey. We are joined by Gus Bedali. Gus, thank you so much for joining us in studio. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the inv invite. Hey, anytime we get a chance to talk uh, to someone who's had such an influence uh, on the world of sports marketing and and, and sports in general, uh, we're, we're excited about that. You, your history is so ingrained with the likes of so many legends in the in the world. Obviously, uh, one thing that I found fascinating is is you know you can't talk about 
Gus Badali without talking about um, the the influence of some of the players that you've represented, right? As as someone who in your own right has seen a ton of success, uh, I mean, obviously a, a, an incredibly intelligent person, especially when it comes to, you know, contracts and marketing and, and getting the most out of every situation. How does it feel uh, being someone who is sort of, you know, you know, Gus Bedali is entwined with the players. Do you ever do you ever feel like more people should be talking about Gus as Gus, or 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 do you does does that ever weigh on you, or do you like the fact that you were able to be this friend and companion, compatriot, and source of uh, information to these otherwise incredibly popular players? That's a really good question. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I would like to be uh, mentioned once in a while. However, that's not my personality. Okay, I just go with the flow. Uh, the player always came first, and uh, and I would be excited if they ever mentioned my name. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's that's our that's what we're doing today. Well, right? wait a second, wait a second. Gus is being very humble here. When I, you know, and I, I, you know, this goes back a number of years when Wayne's coming into the league and that. Gus's name was mentioned. He was a big name. He was at the forefront of player agents. So, of course. So back in the day, you knew Gus Badali's name. And today you still know it as well, especially if you're in that realm of sports management, sports marketing. But, you know, a lot of average sports fans who who just know Wayne Gretzky as the great one, you know, may not know the ins and outs. They may not know what CAA is. They may not, you know what I mean? Like there, there is this realm of sports that exists outside of uh, just the, the fans of the sport itself that that uh, people who are involved may not get as much credit. Like, you know, here another example would be Pat Brisson, you know, yeah. someone who is incredibly influ- influential in the world, uh, in, the, in the business of sports, and yet the average sports fan may not know who this person is. And that's that's more of what I'm talking about. But when you uh, look up, like, say say you're, you're uh, uh, Googling your name, Gus Badali, you come up in so many articles s- cited as a source of information or adding a bit of color to it. So in your own right, you are incredibly popular uh, and, and influential. And, and that's kind of what I want to dig into here. You know, we'll spend some time talking about what it was like to represent the players that you represented, but I'm more interested in you, your life, your career, and and how you got started in this world. Uh, you you played for the Toronto Mar- Marlboros for for uh, a season, um, and it, so it looked like there was a potential for you wanting to get into professional hockey. Was that was that the initial goal, and and then you took a turn, or, or what yeah, happened there? Absolutely, that was my initial goal. Uh, I played and uh, was lucky enough to make the uh, Western Dukes and Junior Bs. And playing with Bobby Pulford for a while and Harry uh-huh. Neal yeah. and Bobby Nevins. And I had played at St. Mike's for minor band of band of a minor midget. Yeah. And uh, I was so excited when I I did make a mistake. I quit school too early. Okay. I was only 16, which was a mistake. But my dad had a service station business, which I went in with him. But uh, I had the opportunity to still play sports and uh, – I loved hockey. It was my first love, and I definitely wanted to be an NHL player. Amazing. And so playing for the Marlboros must have been quite a treat. I mean, that was the next step, right? What, at what point did you start thinking, you know, maybe I have to consider an alternate approach? And was sports agency always the the, the next option, or how did you fall into that? I fell into it from uh, one person that I call was my fate was when I was playing with Weston Dukes, my coach was Buck Hooley, okay. who was with the, the Maple Leaf organization. And uh, I didn't uh, stay there a year and a half. And 
than was out of hockey when I was 20. Because you, you knew whether you were going to be an NHL prospect when you were 18 years of age right. in those days. And there are only six teams in the NHL. Right. So your chances were pretty sure. pretty slim. No, not so many seats at the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Well, anyways, to go past that, after the I left uh, hockey at the age of 20, um, I was back full-time in the service station business and was uh, at my service station one day. And this is 11 years after I'd quit quit hockey. Sure. And this car comes in and uh, we looked at each other and this man says, uh, I said, are you Buck Cooley? He says, yeah. And he says, yeah, Gus. So he, you I'm got Buck. the immediate yeah. recognition there. Yeah. He, immediate recognition. And then during the conversation, he says, oh, I have a little car trouble. I said, I'll bring my mechanic out here and look at it. And uh, during the conversation, Buck says, oh, Gus, you, you playing any hockey? You, you doing any coaching? I says, no, I, I've just started playing pickup hockey. Uh recently and uh, uh you know i feel really good about it because i wasted five years when i was when i quit from 20 to 25 sure actually i was at my peak and for, i just thought i'm not going anywhere so i just maybe just frustrated up. with the whole so idea yeah he was my coach he gets in the car accidentally and says well we're looking for an assistant coach at markham waxers huh. uh who are the affiliate the second team to the the marley's in uh, playing out of George Bell. Well, I says, well, I'm playing some hockey, but I've never coached in my whole life. Sure. He says, well, where do you live? I says, well, it just happens I live at Markham and Lawrence area. Well, even though you don't have any coaching experience, uh, Frank Pinnell is looking for an assistant coach. You know, would you be interested? And I says, well, I really don't know. I said, uh, I'll ask my wife and, yeah. you know, and, and my partner in the service station whether I could, you know, take the time off to be a coach. Sure. So um called him back, and I said, yeah, t- ask Frank Pinello, who I, d- who I didn't know. And uh, if the job's available, I'd like to try it out. So that's how I got in, into, back into the, the world into of the Marley organization and back into the hockey business. So does that, okay, so clearly you must have made some sort of an impact. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to be offered a coaching job sight unseen. But does does Gus Badali, as we know him, exist without that chance interaction? Or was there no real chance you were going to get back into the world of hockey? There was no real chance I was going to get back into hockey. You talk about fortuitous. I was, that was my abs- next question. That, absolutely. That, no one way. of the themes of this show, and people ask how I did this or how the company came about or how you met Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby, and I just say, if if I had to write a book, the title would be Fortuitous. Everything that happened just like happenstance, but you're in the right place at the right time. There's no better example of that than that. A guy driving into your gas station. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, that, that's so from from the the waxers, then you coach there a couple of years. Um, uh, you've actually been cited in a few articles about, you know, talking about what it was like to, to you know, going from the waxers to becoming the man that you became. Um, but but from the waxers, then was it that you were coming across so many prospects that you eventually uh, decided, you know, I can represent these guys in a new way? Or what was that next step? How did you take that? Well, the next step was uh, Wayne Dillon, who was a close friend and I uh, did some coaching with him yeah for him uh it was the era when the WHA was really starting up right and the uh, Marty Howe and Mark Howe were playing for the Marlies Wayne Dillon was the center of that team and they won the Memorial Cup in Montreal during that summer the Howe boys were leaving the Marlies to go and play in uh Houston 
with dad, yeah. with their dad who you know decided to at 52 to start playing hockey again. sure why not what <laughs> well, else are you going to do right <laughs> I, got, I got to know uh gordy through through the boys yeah because i was with the waxers and and i would be watch, watching the marley a's a ton and got real friendly with uh, george armstrong who was the head coach and during a period of time Actually, they won the Memorial Cup of Montreal. I was with Gordie Howe and Colleen. We started talking about their youngest son, Murray Howe. And during the conversation, uh, Gordy says, you know what, Gus? Um, uh, I think my son Murray wants to come up to Toronto to play. I said, well, why not? You know, I don't know how you go about it, but I'm sure you've got connections to get him into a team. So he says, yeah, he says, but you know what? Uh, Marty and Mark weren't happy with the billets that they were with. Okay. And he said, if my son uh, Murray decides to come up to Toronto, uh, would you be interested in uh, billeting him? I, you know, I don't know. I, there again, I, I have to ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the common theme, yeah. The so, title of this episode is going to so be this Gus was, got asked my wife. He still was young, but two years later, Gordian said, oh, Gus, uh, Murray's going to play for the Seneca Nats, Junior Bs. Right. I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's not far away from where I live. And it was close by. And I says, yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's still cold. It still holds. He says, that'd be great. So through that situation, that's how I got to know Gordy and Colleen well. Sure. Well, with the boys, Marty and Mark, going to Houston, Wayne Dillon comes to me one day and he says, Gus, uh, how come the how boys can go and play in the WHA and, and I can't? I said, well, uh, those those boys were American or at least dual. Sure, citizens. sure. So at the age is 20. You can't go and turn pro at the age of 18. Right. You have to be 20. Right. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Wayne. Uh, I got the friend, Buck Hooley, who's now the general manager of the Toronto Toros. Okay. And I will get it confirmed. That's a WHA team yes. too, Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, the WHA Toronto Toros. So I phoned Buck Cooley, and Buck says, well, Gus, uh, you know, the reason is that they're 20 years old. You have to be 20. They're being Canadians. But he says on the phone, but wait, I'll talk to John Bassett Jr., who is the owner, <clears throat> majority owner. At that point, you're not an agent, correct? Uh No. So do, you're trying to a do friend. a favor for, for Dylan. That's right. right. As a friend. Right. And because uh, Buck Cooley, as I say, he coached me. He got me into coaching. And now I'm who am I calling Buck again for the third time? Sure. For some advice. Uh, so he says, I'll talk to John Bassett Jr. And to my surprise, a couple hours later, I get a call from Buck anticipating that, you know, that they can't do it. He says, well, John Bassett Jr., he heard that uh, he's a hell of a hockey player. He was the center man for the Howe boys. Um, I'd like to, I'd like you and his father and the boy come on down. Let's talk about about possibly playing for the Toros. Sure. And I says, but he's not he's not twenty years old. He says that doesn't matter. Just come down and sure we'll meet. Sure. So I phoned up uh, Wayne and his father, and this is got a meeting with uh, John Bassett Jr. So we went down, had the meeting. And during the conversation, I kind of, I'm just a friend. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. John Bassett Jr. says, uh, we, I want to sign him. I says, well, he's only 18. He said, doesn't matter. He says, the WHA doesn't have that rule, the 20-year-old. Sure. And he says, you know your hockey. If you think he's good enough to be able to play pro, well, I says, well, I believe he is. I mean, he played, played with the, the Hellboys, played yeah. on the same line with Mark, and they won the cup. And uh, – 
his credentials are as good as anybody in the junior hockey. Right. Never mind right. age. This can right. play. Yeah. yeah. So I I had no idea. Well, what, what kind of money are we talking about? He says, well, I'll give him 125 a year for three years. <laughs> it's a, like unbelievable wow. money wow. back then, right? Wow. I, not only that, it's unbelievable, but here are the kids playing for $25 a week. It was 50, but you had to play, right. pay certain right. expenses. Sure. $25 a week. There was no schoolboy contracts in those days. Right. And there was no insurance for these kids. Right. Here, being offered guaranteed three years at 125 a year at 18 years of age. And if you got hurt, that's guaranteed. Wow. And that's sort of the difference between the WHA contracts and the NHL contracts. Well, that's where it all turned around. Right. Just a couple of points here. So you mentioned uh, John Bassett Jr., People uh, may or may not know who he was, but he was a major deal in uh, in um, the. Well, I, it was uh, CTV that he wasn't he. Yeah, his I think family so. That the yeah. had a CTV. He had money and power. Yeah. So when when they said, "Well, there's this rule," it was kind of understood that you got to be 20 years old, and he sees the talent. The WHA at the time was turning everything on its ear, like every you know. Rules didn't apply. And these are powerful men that are taking on the NHL, which is the the core group. And and that's where everybody wanted to play. But they're turning everything upside day. Dave Keon's moving out yep. of the league. Gordy Howe's out of the league. So that, that caused a lot of big concerns. So when when they said, well, 20-year-old 20, 20 rule, no, we can figure that one out. But, but what I love about this, because I never knew, that's how you basically at that moment became an agent. Is that correct? A year later. Right. But I mean, for, for, at that time, you realize that people might need your help to get into, into the league and you had the contact. That was a one-time deal, I thought. When I t- uh, confer- uh, talked to John and I said, you know, this is great. And I says, but I have a concern. You say that you are going to sign him and then all of a sudden you back out because you're getting pressure that you can't do this. Sure, sure. And then his name has been put out, and this could be he could be blackballed from playing of course, hockey. Of course, he's taking so a risk said, there, yeah. What kind of guarantee is, is Wayne going to have if we agree to the, these terms? And he says, Gus, he's 18 years old. He can get married. He can go to war. He can do this. <laughs> he says, so I guarantee you I've got lawyers that are good enough that the NHL or whoever cannot stop him from playing. I think it was a result of uh, the WHA signing so many players uh, pre-20 years old, uh, pre-18 years old, that the NHL eventually had to follow suit. Kind of like, does this come up that you were sort of on the forefront front of changing that by way of having these players sign with the WHA over the NHL? Well, it happened that way, but I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was going to have the effect that it did. Sure. Uh, but I, you know, there's another good point. So you bring this up. Without you making that phone call, they may not have have changed that age group, right? Which which was devastating to the NHL because they lost the likes of guys like Wayne Gretzky or the eighteen year olds because they were scooping them up to go to the WHA. Well, this this is where I kind of want to get into uh, this concept because there were there were two fairly uh, high profile instances of uh, players that you were working with uh, signing uh, pre eighteen years old and then eventually getting out of those contracts uh, due to the concept of infancy in in contracts. I'm not sure how much. Uh, you want to talk about it, but John Tonelli would have been one of those cases. That, that was scary for me. I, I bet. I was being sued by 
Harold Ballard and all junior hockey for $2 million. So let, are you, uh, can we talk about uh, the Johnsonelli incident? Are you able to, no, to get into that? Yeah, no, I'll talk about the So why don't you provide us a little bit of background on uh, on how this situation uh, uh, started there? After could, yeah. the Wayne Dillon situation, there were, now there were agents who were uh, advising players and, and talking to WHA teams. Right. That there's a possibility you can go and turn pro. And there was no no contract that the juniors were were signing at that time. So they, they were free to go anywhere they sure, wanted. Sure, sure. Well, John Tonelli, who was playing for the Marlies when I was with the Markham Waxers, yep. billeted with, with our family. And uh, well, the Wayne Dillon situation started that he was going to play in the WHA. John Bassett Jr. gives me a call. He says, Gus, uh, I want a couple more players that you've got. And uh, I was now representing uh, Mark Napier. Yep. And I wasn't representing John Tonelli at the time, even though he was uh, billeting with me. Sure. I said, but they're still playing junior ace. It doesn't doesn't matter, Gus. They're 18 years old. Well, because of that situation with the Wayne Dillon situation, they the junior teams came up with a contract that said that you cannot leave the junior hockey operations because you have to sign this contract. If you don't sign this contract, you're not going to – you cannot play right in the OHL. So I have actually left the Marlies, uh, Mark and Waxers, and and became an agent because Mark Napier's father asked me to represent Mark in the in the negotiations for a WHA. Sure. And I says, well, I'm not an agent. I says, well, you did Wayne Dillon's. I says, yeah, but I just did that as a friend. I, I'm I'm working for Famous Players Theaters now, doing audits. And, you know, I'm kind of happy. I, I'm not programmed to, to be an agent. Sure. This just worked out. Well, Gus, I think you can. He says, I, I think you can do it. I want you to represent Mark Napier. There you go. So I got talked into being an agent <laughs> through Mark Napier's father. That's amazing. So, so there you go. We, we've got the whole course. Now I've, for the first time, and I've known Gus for a number of years, yeah. that's the first time that, and I guess I could have done some more homework. <laughs> question, but that's the first time I realized how you evolved from, a coach, a, a, a gas station owner, to a to a coach, to a to famous players attendant, to an agent, to, to, yeah. to the top agent in the game yeah. at one point, and being sued for two million dollars by a junior, which is as I said, I had uh, and three boys at the time. I don't think the fourth was born yet, and uh, I thought, oh god, I got a house that might be valued at sixty thousand dollars with a forty thousand dollar mortgage. As I'm dead. I mean, I lose this. That's got to be a scary time. I'm, I'm going to be homeless. How long did this uh, this dispute last? It lasted uh, three years. Wow. There's there's the, the other interesting part is John Tonelli. As I say, the juniors have come up with this contract that was so one-sided. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, John Tonelli wanted to go, and I had a call from Gordie Howe and Bill Denis. And they said, uh, Gus, we liked uh, we liked John Tonelli. I says, Well, he's playing for the Marlies right now. Sure. He's, you know, he's he's building with us, but uh, you know, he's got to sign this contract. Anyways, he says, Well, tell him not to sign it because we w- we're interested in him coming to Houston Arrows. Yeah. And I said, All right, I'll talk to John and see if he's interested. And of course, he was. Yeah, of course. All right. They said, Well, this contract that there's there's they have to sign the play. Tell them not to sign him and Mark. Needs to, we were advised that 
uh, my lawyer at the time says, don't have these boys sign it. Well, when they, when they went to uh, practice and they were asked to sign the contract at practice, they were not notified that what this was all about. Other sure. than you can't play for us unless you Until sign this, this is contract. signed. Mark Nieper was told not to. He went to practice and didn't sign. John Tonelli went to practice, living to me, and I could have said, John, don't sign it. That there's a meeting being set up by, by the, the Marleys to tell us what is this contract is saying. Sure. And we had this meeting, and I was the only one that had a lawyer there. Smart move. And, and uh, there again, the lawyer says, Gus, tell John not to sign it. Go to his practice, but don't sign. Okay. Mark Napier did not sign it. Right. Well, when uh, John Tonelli came in the front door of our house, I knew right off the bat, this is John, you signed that contract. or not? He says, well, I was told that they would tear it up. If you can, if you can get a contract from the WHA, he says, we'll tear your contract. They said that to him. They said that to okay. him. Okay. Wow. They said, we guarantee you, you will not you will not uh, be tied to it. Well, that well, wasn't that's, the case. That's not what a contract means. That no. that seems very, oh God, what is the word? Unprofessional is, is sort of a, a downplaying it a little bit. They're essentially using scare tactics to get kids to sign contracts and do you know at this time because you mentioned the difference in pay between the WHA and the the NHL at the time would the pay have been still that $65 per week or and and so they're signing the same contract that's essentially just making it so that they can't move to the WHA absolutely wow yeah um, so you're 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 working with uh, Tanelli at this point to try to see him through the contract dispute after he signed it I phoned my lawyer and he says, Gus, well, this is the only thing we can do. Uh, we can repudiate his contract because he's not 18 yet. Right. But once he's 18 years old, if we haven't done anything to to cancel this contract obligation out, then he's he has to stay he's with in. the Marlies. Right. So I told John about that. And he was willing to to tell him that uh, you know he's he's going to repudiate the contract when he's 18. Well, once he told them that, they kicked him off the team. Oh. And that was a real shock. So he told them that prior to his 18th birthday. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, that 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 conversation about if you end up signing a WHA contract, don't worry, we'll tear it up, out the window. They had a different understanding of yeah. what that contract they meant. They said, you know, if you want to, you want to stay with us uh, and we have a chance to win a Memorial Cup, you have to stay with us till the end. Right. When he phoned his parents, his parents said, you've got to, uh, you got to stay with the Marlins. And uh, I says, well, you know, you, you can listen to your parents. It's up to you, John. It's not my decision whether you want to. But Houston and talking to Bill Deneen, he really, really wants you to play. And it's really ironic. I'll tell you the reason why. Gordy Howe and uh, Bill Deneen were playing the, the Toronto Toros on a Sunday afternoon. And they were, the uh, Houston Arrows are going to play in Quebec. I said, Gus, we're going to watch John on the Sunday afternoon game. And Gordy and uh, Bill were at my house. And ironically, John Tonelli comes walking in when Gordy and Bill hmm. are there. And that was a mistake because, you know, John was, you know, in shock and, to see and, Gordy out. Yeah, for sure. And Bill Denis. For sure. And he's playing the next day in the afternoon. Well, John played that game in the, 
I watched the game. I've never seen anybody play like a deer in front of a headlight. Oh. He was. Because he knew he was being. He was so bad. He played so Oh, no. That's devastating. It was was devastating. I felt so sorry for John. Yeah. That maybe if he hadn't seen Gordy and Bill. That he he wouldn't have been in his own head as much. He wouldn't have been in his own head. Yeah. So John comes in that after the game late later that day. He says, geez, Gus, I'm sorry. He says, but I I was so nervous. Oh, no. Oh, with no. Gordy and Bill and he watched me. He says, Oh, don't worry, but it's not the end of the world. Bill calls me at one o'clock in the morning. And he says, Oh, hi, Bill, how you doing? <laughs> says, oh, I'm doing good, Gus. I says, and uh, I says, Well, I'm afraid he was a little bit nervous out there. He, he says, Well, you know what, Gus? Uh I want to sign him. Oh. I think I was like dead silent. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was playing a prank, right? I said, and this, I said, Bill, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. What did you see out there? He says, I know I saw a nervous kid out there. He says, but I still saw potential. Great. I says, I said, Bill, you're the greatest scout I've ever (laughs) known. That's that's a great eye. <laughs> I, I says, if you could have seen something positive out there, boy, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> but I says, I had I didn't see one thing that was positive. Well, I think I think it's important to note as well for people listening that uh, the idea of a scout going to a game was so much more important at this point in time because oh, there was a limited amount of tape and the internet didn't exist for you to just oh, go find right, clips. Right. It, it, this may have been his one of his few or Big limited shot. experiences yeah. watching John play. Yeah, well, he hadn't seen him play. Right. Because he, he was the coach and GM right. of the Houston Arrows. But I, like, I was flabbergasted. He says, I want to sign him. So I told John, I says, believe it or not, John, Bill Deneen wants to talk to, to me uh, about you and about signing with the Houston, Houston Arrows. He says, well, let's sign. <laughs> I says, but your parents don't want you to leave the Marlies. Sure. Well, anyways, he went against his parents, and he was kicked off the team. So there wasn't anything we could do. He had to finish the season not playing. Could he join the team in Houston at that point? Uh, no. No, he couldn't do that. No. So he had to sit it out. Here's the thing, though. He's leaving to go play with Gordy Howe. And his, was his kids on the team at that point? Mark yes. and Marty? So, yeah. so you're leaving. Like, how can you not want to take that and get 125000 or whatever the number well, was? It's, and told you're going to play on a line with Gordy, Mark, and oh, you're going to wow. be a left winger. Wow. wow, that's incredible. I mean, is it is it uh, an element of the NHL just knowing that it had the name and was hoping that people would stick around just as a result of that? But, I mean, in hindsight, you know, more money, the chance to play with Gordy, and, and uh, like, it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, and he was going to make $90,000 a year for three years. Wow. That's crazy. But then we were uh, sued by the Marlies in all junior but, hockey. Now, Harold Ballard owned the Marlies yeah, at the time? and, and uh, Stafford Smith. Right. So that was, those were two tough cookies. Yeah. They, yeah. They, right. They were trying to make an example out of it. They would yeah. do anything That's to right. intimidate. So we were sued and it was three years before we went to court. John finished his three-year contract. And then we were sued uh, by all junior hockey and, and the Marlies. Wow. 
Now, million after that, that three-year period, though, how long did the WHA last? Was it towards the end of that Last until about 79. This is 75. So, okay, it been, so within a year or two after that, yeah. they folded mm-hmm. into the NHL, yeah. right? Yeah. And, the, and the, the court case went nine days. And I'm crapping my pants. Wow. I, I'm going to be homeless with my kids. Sure, my sure. Well, and there's no protection. You days. have no insurance against that or whatever. No, you, you, right. no. And after nine days, uh, I thought I talked to the lawyer and I said, "Why? Why is it taking nine days?" He says, "I, you know, that's just up to the judge." So I says, "What are our chances?" He says, "Gus, you never know." He says, "That's what you want to hear." That's what. Yeah, about. exactly. Yeah, just what I didn't want to hear. Yeah. Anyways, the verdict come out in John's favor, and I said, "What was the reason we won it?" Because the contract was still one-sided. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer, and I thought, well, contracts aren't, aren't supposed to be valid if they're totally one-sided. Right, right, right. Which this one was. And he says, we wanted on the fact that we repeated the contract before I was 18. I said, well, why did it take nine days to do that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sweating bullets here. Wow. And it, after nine days, the reason you said there was our chance. It was pretty black and white. Yeah, it's a pretty black and white. Yeah. But it took nine days, and he says, that, that what, was up um, to judge. So when you, so John finished his three year contract. Yep. Went on directly to the Islanders after that. No, that's another good story. Well, I want to hear <laughs> Let's this. Let's get into it. John, yeah. John, and I have talked many times. We've done some business together. Great guy. Well, Bill Torrey, who is the general manager. Hey, now there, one of the reasons I told the kids to to go into the WHA, even though they were through, you would be twenty one. Right. You were still eligible for the NHL draft. Right. So the most you would have to stay in the WHA is one year over 20. Right. right. But meanwhile, you've got, you've got this money guaranteed. And if you got hurt, you got some, there's, there's something to fall big, back that's on. That's big money back that's then. That's the equivalent money. of maybe a half a million now that's, this day and age. That's big money. See, I was, say, I was so curious to ask about your affiliation, not necessarily directly with the WHA, but a lot of the, the players you represented ended up going there, and this makes a ton of sense. This, well, this, let me tell you this. So as a fan, I hated the WHA. <laughs> okay? I'm an NHL guy. I'm watching NHL teams, and they were – they were taking our better players, and I, I had no interest in watching the WHA. I thought it was an upstart. This is my opinion back when I was 18 years old or sure. whenever the league was going on, 20 years old. So it, it bothered me that this other upstart league, which I felt would never get off the ground, was stealing some of the best players. In fact, Dave Keon was one of my heroes, and he's moving to, to uh, Hartford. It bothered me, but now this hearing this from you, is totally understandable, and it actually worked out in everybody's favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was the reason that that I felt they weren't going to be tied up at the age of twenty one. That they can, they can uh, still go back. Still go back. But meanwhile, they've got all this money. Yeah, that if they got hurt, gives them a few years buffer a, at least. That's right. Yeah. And when I get to Wayne, yeah, you're just talking about uh, them getting these good young players. When we get to that, that I think you'll enjoy yeah, hearing I'm going that. To. 
That's the situation. This may be a double show I was, right I was actually, right. let's do that. Let's, let's, uh, we, there's so much to talk about still with, with this story and the surrounding stories that I think we'll, we'll, we'll announce this at this point. Uh, this is going to be part one. We're going to roll into a part two. Uh, so let's, let's finish this, uh, this thread then. You know, we, we've, we've heard about how you got into the industry to become, uh, the man that you were, how, how you very much pioneered the idea of having younger players signing with the WHA. So let's continue to pull on that thread. And then in the next episode, we'll get uh, we'll get into some more questions with some of the uh, uh, the more high profile players that you've come to represent. So so we left I have to say John Tonelli isn't a high profile. No, no. Player. But I, I think I think the you know, very often you hear Gus Badali, agent of Wayne Gretzky, you right, know what I mean? Right, like right. those those are and there's a there's also a ton to get in there. So let's let's continue on this. Thread well, John, then. so he was mentioning because I just asked whether John Tonelli went directly to the islanders, the islanders. and you said right. no that's another interesting story yeah the reason that's interesting is now john was the had done he's 21 the nhl draft is up coming up and john was drafted by the new york islanders and wayne Dillon was drafted by uh, uh, the new york rangers so my advice now was i'm advising you to go to the nhl and uh bill tory so i'm talking to bill tory on behalf of john and he says, Gus, we really want John to play in the, with the Islanders. Sure. And I says, well, uh, what kind of dollars are we talking? <laughs> um, because the the uh, Houston Arrows were, they were losing money. Well, they weren't going to be able to resign. A lot of lot of franchises in, in the That's WHA right. at this time. I mean, so, you, we'll, we'll get into Indianapolis uh, soon as yeah. well. You know you know what it kind of reminds me of is is the onset of like Uber in the cab world where it started off where it was like, why wouldn't I take Uber? It's easy. It's on my phone and it's a quarter the price of of the taxi companies, you know, it's all about money. And then all of a sudden Uber realizes you can't stay afloat that way, just as the WHA is probably considering. There's a reason why those contracts were considered so outrageous because they're not, you can't afford them too much. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, talking to Bill and uh, we're talking dollars. Um, I don't actually remember exactly what they were, but Connecticut, uh, what was the name? Hartford Hartford Whalers wanted John Tanohi and they called me. So I said, they, they were going to offer me $25,000 more than what the Islanders. So one o'clock in the morning again, I'm at getting a phone call from Bill Torrey. Sure. He says, guess we really want John. He says, but we can't. I said, well, have you got another $25,000 to match Hartford Whalers? Guess we don't have it. And, and the Islanders, and I believed him because the Islanders were, were struggling sure. for, yeah. for money. At the time, too. He says, Gus, I can't do it. I talked to John, and I said, to him, we're $25,000 difference between Hartford and in the NHL with the, with the New York Islanders. And this is per year, correct? The total amount of the contract. Oh, okay. So, yeah, no, the total oh, wow. amount was just $25,000. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah, I was thinking per year. Okay. Yeah, no. That was a lot of money. Big time. You know, and the kid, that's a, even more money to him than even sure, was sure. a lot to me. Right. Let alone, I'm in. You know what I want, John. I I advise it's time that you should play in the in the NHL if they want you that bad. And I know there's twenty five thousand dollar difference. I think it's worth taking less to play in the NHL. Right. So he says, Gus, 
if you say that's the route to go, then that's the route to go. Is is there a reason why you did you did you sort of pick up on the fact that a lot of these franchises in the WHA were failing, and that's why you that's wanted right. to jump over? Yeah. yeah, that was a major factor, right? And that, get your relationships straight, yeah, yeah. and yeah. build strong relationships. But that's good advice. That's great advice. That's, that, you know, not every agent today is going to tell players to do that, and that's the difference. That, that was never a factor in mind. I was never consider myself what was good for me. It right. was always what was best for the player. Right. No matter what. And if they were getting in trouble, you just blame me. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> At all times. Does this have anything to do with the fact that, I mean, your your beginnings as an agent started with you just deciding to help a player with a, a contract. And that's, you didn't get into it because you realized there was money in it. You got into it because no. you knew these kids needed help. Otherwise, the teams were going to take advantage of them. I was I was in over my head. Like sure. I, then I got a, I had to get a partner, which was a lawyer and an accountant. Right. Because I you need that when I you need your eyes properly. All I knew was hockey. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have went to court. Yeah. For Tonelli, if I didn't have a lawyer that was one of the partners. Now, how did Hartford react to the news? <clears throat> they were actually going to raise it, but I said, "Well, we committed to uh, we committed to." The yeah. And you know how, like, at this point, so he signed his first contract in 75. This would have been about 78. Did you know how long the term of these contracts were? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, John Tonelli was so lucky we went that route. Because he got four Stanley Cups. Right. Sure. Four Stanley Cups with that decision. Well, he wasn't, I mean, he. when you say lucky, He's a he, key he part. Was, yeah. Then fortuitous, he went and he made that decision, but he was a big part of that team. I know that. Yeah. I mean, I then that was the dynasty yeah. right before Edmonton's, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyways. He developed like unbelievable. Yeah. That, that's what Bill Deneen saw. Right. That I, I believed in Tonelli is a lot better than what I saw that sure, day. Sure, sure. Don't get me wrong. But that's right. because of but what I, else you had but seen. But I'm going on that basis. How could this one person visualize that? Yeah. I, I feel like it in a, and just are, uh, you can prospect pretty well yeah, with the best of them. Pretty yeah. wild yeah. with maybe three or four games, sure, or something like that. Because you know you you change from one game to another. But how how much of it do you think, as someone who's trying to build the name of the WHA, how much of it had to do with just the fact that they were taking a good prospect away from the NHL? Was was there an element of that? You know, trying to say. We, we can get to your players because we're as powerful as you. Or was it all to do with that insight from watching that one game? What do you think? That's, that's a tough question. In, in John Bassett's eyes, he wanted to be in the NHL. Yeah. And he wanted uh, that opportunity by going with the WHA that we can, you know, you should. He had more vision than anybody did in the NHL. Any. The NHL didn't want any more teams. Right. It was an old boys club. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And and John Bassett, even though his father was one of the Silver Seven, right, he is a very he, wealthy he was, family. He was blackballed. Yes, he, and but he had so much more vision than any of those guys. Right. They they didn't want him getting successful at all. But but the difference is is back in the day, the NHL small group of people, six teams. Yeah. Six teams at the time, or did they expand? Uh, no, they would have expanded, no, I yeah, believe, at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was an old boys club, and you did it. Everybody had to follow their rules, and they controlled everything. Yeah. So when the WHA came in into play, that rocked the boat. 
big time. And it gave those people that wanted to get into the inside club an opportunity to force their way in. Yeah. Yeah. So now they saw it as an opportunity to possibly force their way in. Yeah. 1967 was the original expansion draft. So right, this would right. this would course, come after. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's, that's fascinating. So Tinelli, uh, uh, sort of laid the groundwork for, for your relationship with, uh, you know, the NHL and the WHA, obviously it didn't go away at this point in time. This was just one of the, the contract negotiations that happened, happened. And you could see obviously the writing on the wall with the WHA or maybe, maybe presuming that it was going a certain direction, but I think we're running a little bit low on time. And I think this is where we cut it off. I think, I think let's go for a a, a part two, either next week or, or the week after, because we have tons of questions. Like, you know, as we said, oftentimes you see your name, Gus Badali, agent of Wayne Gretzky, and we've hardly touched in that. And I know the story. Everyone knows the story of him. We're getting close to it. We're getting close. And I think, I think that's what we'll start off the next episode with. He'll, he'll, he'll be interested in the, the, uh, being upset with, uh, the WHA going after these young players. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But John Bassett's a major factor. Absolutely. In this again. And, uh, John Bassett and another interesting character that I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about is Nelson Scalbania and, in, uh, in the WHA as well. So I've got a ton of questions about him. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. Uh, thanks again so much uh, for tuning in and listening. Gus, Gus Vidali, uh, once again, thank you so much for sharing your stories here. I can't wait to have you on the podcast again. You will hear that soon. So keep, uh, keep that in mind. Once again, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth, uh, I'm Mikey Aaronworth, and this is us signing off. Oh, you got this me going. Oh, no, this well, is- ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey. Or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions. Executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew. Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!